you're an entrepreneurial public servant, this podcast is for you. Welcome to Inspiring People and Places, where we interview national leaders in the architectural, engineering, construction, and development industry in an effort to educate, innovate, and inspire industry professionals to disrupt the status quo, improve their project teams, and steward public and private investments more effectively. I'm your host, BJ Kramer, President and CEO of MCFA, and in today's episode, we are sitting down with my friend and business partner, Wes Guckert. Wes, how are we doing today? Number one, thank you for that introduction. I am spectacular. And uh, BJ and I have known each other for a relatively short period of time, uh, probably uh, two years maybe. Uh, We've recently become engaged more so with one another in lots of different ways. And I'm thrilled, thrilled to be part of this today, BJ. We're excited to have you, Wes. I am very excited for you to share how your business got started. But before we go there, I think it's worth saying that Wes, Wes signed up for the podcast despite having COVID-19. So I'm very, Wes, I'm very blessed. Wes is locked up in his, uh, in his bedroom, asymptomatic, but uh, hopefully it stays that way. So Wes, as you know, and as we talked about, Discover, Navigate, Accelerate is the MCFA way, and it is the, uh, the layout of the of the podcast. So tell the, uh, tell our audience a little bit about who Wes Guckert is and, and how we got to this point in your, uh, in your career. Do you want me to, how far back do you want me to go? As far as you think's meaningful, I, I think the, the, the part I'm most excited about you sharing is, uh, what we shared between you and Walt Petrie at the, uh, at the restaurant a couple weeks ago. But, I think it's important to hear how you got into the industry. We've got some young audience members, uh, maybe in college, maybe just getting out of college. So I, I love uh, for some of the, the senior guests to, to talk through how they got into the industry to start. Sure. So here I was uh, getting out of high school, Baltimore Polytechnic and Engineering High School in Baltimore. And uh, we were in the middle of the Vietnam War. And it was time for me to go to college. I went there for about six months, determined that college was not for me. Uh, I knew that if had I uh, decided to drop out of college, which I did, I had a very low number for the Army. And instead of being uh, drafted in the Army and being a, a a foot soldier in Vietnam, I enlisted in the United States Air Force. At that time, uh, as you may know, there were testing going on. What is it that you're good at? Uh, Where could you help support uh, the Vietnam War mission? And I was offered a job as a Vietnamese linguist. And that's where I started. I I went to Vietnamese language school at the Defense Language Institute in Washington, D.C., and there is, I spent uh, 40 hours a week for eight months studying, reading, writing uh, Vietnamese, learning the language from uh, several Vietnamese teachers. I then went to uh, uh, different, different schools in the Air Force and became a crew member on a C-130, C-135 uh doing uh, Vietnamese stuff um, that you do in the 
uh, in the defense industry for the Air Force. I spent 18 months in, in Vietnam. Uh, during that time, I started going to night school because I had dropped out of college. Uh, I then uh, returned. So tell me about night school while you're in Vietnam. Well, there's a uh, the, there's there's classes, and I spent 18 months in Southeast Asia, probably 12 months uh, permanent uh, flying out of out of uh, out of Kadena Air Force Base in Okinawa. The other six months flying out of Cameron Bay, and it was what happens today. That is, you're doing you're you're going to night school uh, online uh, or using books and uh, taking tests that way. So that's where I really started uh, my my college degree while I was in Southeast Asia. Uh, the last year in the Air Force, I spent at the National Security Agency at Fort Meade doing the same thing I was doing uh, while I was uh, in the air. I had 110 combat missions in Vietnam. Uh, and when I got back to the States, I got married. Uh, the last 12 months I spent at NSA uh, going to night school, uh, going to NSA during the day, night school, and working at Giant Food uh, at night. Um, ultimately, uh, that last year I finished I went to work for the Maryland State Highway Administration in the materials testing lab. Uh, that was the worst job and the greatest motivator I, can have, I could ever have had, bending uh, rebar, crushing concrete cylinders, uh, looking for compression strength. And I spent about six months, only six months doing that in the lab when a, uh, a notice came out that they were forming a new division at State Highway called the Traffic Safety Division. So I rose my, raised my hand and said, I'll do anything. I don't even know what it is, but I'll do it. Get me out of this uh, testing lab. So I got a job with Maryland State Highway Administration Traffic Safety Division. I worked there for six years, getting as much, uh, as much education as I could, both on the job and at various places, including University of Maryland, University of Tennessee, uh, Northwestern University and Evanston, Illinois, all relating to traffic engineering and transportation planning. So after about six years, I found a, uh, a firm in, in the Gaithersburg, Washington, D.C. area that was looking for uh, someone to help him grow his single person traffic engineering business. So I joined him. Uh, after about uh, six years, I had grown the business, helped the guy grow the business. Uh, we had about 12 employees and, and revenues had, had quadrupled uh, over that time that I was helping him. And I met a guy named Walt Petrie. And he was a developer. We were doing a significant amount of developer traffic impact study work. I met Walt Petrie in Towson, Maryland. And we hit it off. Uh, he too was a uh, a Vietnam vet. He had been out of Vietnam uh, for probably fifteen years by that time, and he was he was uh, representing uh, property owners, landowners, developers, and developing a major shopping center in Towson. And we became very fast friends. 
And he said to me one day, he said, this is your company, right? I said, no. I said, I don't even have an engineering degree. And he said, I'm liking you even more. He said, I don't have a degree either. And so he said to me, he said, you're the face of this company. What, how much of the company do you own? I said, I don't know, three, four, 5%. He said, that's crazy. He said, tell me how much money you need and let's see if we can get you started in your own business. So I went home to my wife, Tony, and my, uh, my two young children, and I started figuring out that if I had $13,000 the first month, I'd be able to make it in business. So I called Walt. We met. He said, meet me at Clyde's in Columbia restaurant. We met. He gave me a check for $13,000. 10 years later, I found out that, that was all the money he had at that time. I drained his bank account. And as you know, BJ, he, uh, he, he tells the story that when I tell the story, he looks around, he said, he always says, did you know, did you look at my checking account? Did you know how much money I had? I said, absolutely not. And he said, well, that was everything I had. And I thought the guy was wealthy at the time. Drove around in a, in a black Carrera Porsche, uh, looked and talked the part of a very, very wealthy person. But he gave me all the money he had. And if anyone's going to be listening to this, uh, this podcast, you need to know if you find a friend, a true friend, never, ever let them go, whether it's male or female, uh, because I have found my true friend in Walt Petrie. And fortunately, uh, we remain best friends today, still hang out together. I performed his uh, latest wedding ceremony. I'll be the officiant at his daughter's wedding uh, this New Year's Eve. And I'm blessed, very, very blessed to be able to call somebody like Walt a friend. So that's how I got started in the business. Uh, and that Funny was enough, I got to give a quick shout out to Walt because he, he emailed me right before I was getting on this show. So I don't know if you gave him a heads up that, mm -mm. that you were getting on with me. But shout out to Walt, who's also a Corps of Engineers officer. Uh, yeah, a former Walt, Corps of Engineers officer. Walt happened to be uh, one of the youngest. He says the youngest uh, second lieutenant in the uh, in the Army Corps at 19 years old, running a group of people building roads and bridges through the jungles of Vietnam when he was there. Uh, great guy, very lucky, very lucky to know him. And uh, no, I did not tell him I was getting on the air <laughs> with you. That's just coincidence. And they just keep on coming, the coincidences. Right. So, um, so Walt got me started in our company. And of course, like most companies, we started with one and we've grown to as much as uh, 90 people. I think we're 80 people now uh, with a, a company, a, a nationwide presence uh, where we've got uh, government contracts with state Departments of Transportation at 12 or 13 states around the country. We do a significant amount of that type of work and then a significant amount of traffic study work for 
uh, private developers, and very recently, as a result of uh, my SD status, doing the same type of thing for government agencies. Um, If I could ask you, what was the hardest point in the business ownership process, and and when did you, you know, talk about going from one to 10 employees or 10 to 20 employees. And sometimes it's from the first dollar you make to, to being able to pay yourself a full salary. What, so, what were some of the pivot points in your career so far? So, so I, I think the pivot point, uh, and that's a good way to uh, frame it, BJ, the pivot point for me stands out. I started the company in 1985. In 1992, there was a real estate crisis caused by the old court savings and loan where uh, it's the same type of thing that happened, quite frankly, in 2007, 2008. Uh, there was a crisis caused by the old court savings and loan where they were going around lending money to people who couldn't afford it, much like banks were doing with individuals with homes. Uh, and that was a crisis and a pivot point for me that just sticks out because it was at that time in 1992 that I had to lay people off. And it was quite frankly, the worst, worst, worst experience I ever went through. And it was at that point in time when we were doing 90% private work, 10% government work, that I said, this is not gonna work. I, I, I cannot go into people's offices and tell them they've lost their job, meaning they're gonna lose their home, their car, um, their family, their apartment. I never wanted to go through that again. So I made the uh, pivot right then and there that I was never going to do that again. And as a result, we went from being a 10% government company to today where we're probably a 75% government company because uh, the government, I have found, in my opinion, is always going to have some kind of money. And living in Washington, D.C. area, you really are much more recession-proof than living in other parts of the country. So when I made that pivot in 1992 to uh, no longer be beholden upon the private sector, to me, that was a turning point in our business. That's that's a good pivot because or or uh, segue into the next section, which is the navigate. And two things I want to throw out there here is we're always looking for a leadership and or engineering project story from your career that that teaches our audience something. Whether it's um, whether it's the junior employees looking at how they build their career, or uh, our real target is helping our public agencies. Uh, think a little bit more entrepreneurial, think a little more innovatively. And you know, it's, a, it's a great segue because you do balance both the private sector where we love the entrepreneurial spirit and the vision of our developers, but we also uh, can go, get caught up in their bank accounts. Um, and, and our public sector engineers and, and infrastructure champions, we're always trying to push them to, to get a little more aggressive think a little more outside the box and uh, do things more innovatively. So do you have any leadership or project experience you want to share? Um, uh, good story. I, 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 I'm sure I do, but let me, let me, let me start with this. Um, when you are a entrepreneur, 
and you're getting started, uh, many entrepreneurs uh, think they know it all. And one of the things that became very, uh, came out very strongly for me was I was about 15 years into, into our company. So it was around the year 2000 that uh, I was getting to a burnout point. Now, the, the company's been around now for 36 years. So this was, this was over 20 years ago. Uh, I'm, I'm saying to myself, man, I am tired of being everything, everything to everybody. Uh, I'm really tired of having people come in and complain, whether it's a man or a woman coming in saying, well, you know, it's kind of like kids. Uh, he's looking at me. He's hitting me. He's touching me. And I got tired of worrying about that. I also got tired of spending my time getting a cramp in my hand, signing pay, signing checks, both paychecks and uh, business checks to keep the business running. And so I, I talk about another pivot. I finally figured out that um, I didn't know everything and that uh, I talked to some people and they said, you know what, Wes, why don't you hire a professional, hire a CEO coach? And I said, CEO coach, what's a coach going to be able to do for me? Well, changed my life is what a coach did for me. It made me understand why people hire me because at that time, and maybe now, some people consider me an expert. And while uh, a land use attorney knows a whole lot about a lot of different things, whether it's about engineering and traffic and stormwater management and, and forest protection and on and on and on, they're not the expert in one thing. They're much more of a generalist. And so I hired a CEO coach. And what we did was go through the uh, organization and figure out, uh, do we have people that shouldn't be on the bus? And if they should be on the bus, are they in the right seat on the bus? And I was telling a story the other day. I'm, a, uh, I'm involved in a lot of different charities, and you may hear about one uh, a little bit later. And one of the folks that supports one of our charities uh, was Jerome Bennis. And Jerome Bennis, as you know, a Pittsburgh Steeler, uh, known as the bus. And uh, it became uh, really simple to me uh, to understand uh, whether I needed to have the right people on the bus and are they in the right seat. So I have a picture of the bus and myself in my conference room to remind me that not everybody belongs on the bus. And certainly people are not on the right seat on the bus. And that's what turned my company around about, about 20 years ago because I went and went through uh, some exercises with the CEO coach to understand uh, the different personalities of the people. And what is a really good job for some people is not a really good job for other people. And so we went through a, uh, an exercise where I figured out that I could find somebody who liked to do what I didn't like to do and vice versa. And because of that, 
I moved a couple of people around on the bus. I got rid of people and got them off the bus, which was one of the hardest things to do. Uh, and that to me was a big pivot point for me, understanding that uh, I needed to get the right people in the right seat. And thinking that you know it all is the wrong thing. You need to hire professionals, CEO coach, business development coach, have a, I've got a peer advisory board of, of half a dozen different people from different walks of life that look at uh, our business and looks at it differently than I would look at it and says, you know what, Wes, why are you doing it this way? Money's almost free now. Why don't you take and go back to your bank? Well, there are things that you don't even think about because they're staring you in the face. But if you've got, if you don't, if you do say to yourself, yeah, I don't know it all and I'll take somebody else's expertise, you don't have to take it. You don't have to take their advice. But what you do have to take, you have to take their advice. You may not have to uh, do exactly what they tell you to do. And so you have to learn to pivot to take other people's advice. I, I love that. And especially being professional services firms where we're advising other uh, leaders, you know, they're, they're looking at us and, and our teams as their advisory boards. Um, and, and one of the things at MCFA we try to do is not just improve the project team, but improve the organizational health. Uh, because I think there's, there's both leadership and project challenges that come along. Um, uh, Mike Stedman, who's our producer, and I actually met through our CEO coach, Bill Watkins. So shout out to Bill Watkins uh, and the, and the uh, Lions Pride. Uh, Wes, moving into the Accelerate round, uh, this is more of a Q&A session. Uh, long form answer, short form answer, whatever hits you. But number one is current events or public policy issue that you're actively involved in. I am, uh, as you know, actively involved in a number of veterans organizations. From I'm heavily involved in Folds of Honor. Uh, I've been heavily involved in the Catch and Lift Foundation, uh, the Gary Sinise Foundation, and heavily involved in uh, the Tunnels to Towers organization. I have, uh, since I became a service-disabled veteran-owned small business, uh, I made it a pledge that I would uh, give back to vets more now than I ever have. And, and that's, that's what I do uh, as it relates to veterans. I'm deeply involved in children's education um, and uh, in, in drug rehab as well. There are, there's an organization in Baltimore called uh, Living, uh, Love in the Trenches about, and it helps uh, parents and siblings of those that have had the unfortunate uh, overdose situation and uh, parents that need to be able to speak to somebody and children, uh, siblings of that have lost uh, their brother or sister because of an overdose. Uh, a big, big deal for me. Uh, there are two other organizations and uh, society issues and these are all society issues uh, that I'm talking about, whether it's veterans that need help uh, or whether it's uh, an organization like the Carson Scholars Fund. I've been involved in Ben Carson's Carson Scholars Fund 
for about 15 years. And during that time, we went from uh, giving away about a thousand scholarships to our 10,000 uh, scholar this year. And it's about children, not just because they're smart, but because they have to prove that they are a good human being. Uh, these kids are our future leaders. And we start by giving scholarships in the fourth grade up through uh, the 11th grade. And they have to, now not only do they need a 375 GPA, but they have to write an essay saying why, what they've done to help society. These kids are absolutely amazing. Who they are, what they are, what they've done once they've graduated, and we've helped them uh, go to college. There's another organization uh, that's near and dear to my heart called the Believe in Tomorrow Foundation. It's, it's to help children and families uh, that are going through uh, childhood cancer. And uh, this organization, the Believe in Tomorrow Foundation, provides respite housing for these kids and their families um, who, who may be going on their last vacation. And uh, BIT, Believe in Tomorrow, has respite homes uh, primarily on the East Coast, uh, but also in Western Maryland, in Deep Creek Lake, in Colorado, Bethany, Ocean City. And um, they also provide housing for families uh, when these children come to Johns Hopkins University from around the world. And children that have cancer uh, will, will be in the hospital for a day or two at a time, but they may not be leaving the area for a month. And so rather than have the children uh, or the parents have to uh, rent a hotel room or not be there, uh, the Believe in Tomorrow Foundation gives the, uh, the families uh, and the children a nice place to live while they're getting treatment from Johns Hopkins. So societal issues have everything to do with us taking care of our veterans and taking care of our children, no matter what shape they're in, whether they're sick or whether they need an education. Those to me are the public policy uh, societal issues that, that need to be dealt with and that I'm involved in. Um. You hit me hard with a couple of those, um, but I have to go back to your Navigate Challenge. How do you find the time and the energy to put into all of those organizations while you're running a business? Well, you know, or you, you, you were going to ask me about my favorite quote and why, and it's, it's all about the fact that um, I think I've become very organized, and you have to be organized in order to find time uh, to give back to others. And there's a movie, my favorite movie of all time is a movie called Pay It Forward. And if you haven't seen it, I recommend that everyone in this listening audience uh, go see Pay It Forward at least one time because it is the kind of movie that gives me inspiration to wanna to do what I do uh, to help the children and to help the veterans in our world. And I, and I, become, I have become very, very uh, proficient in getting things done. And I, I do not delay, I do not hesitate. And if we're looking for um, a way to explain to young entrepreneurs or government, do it and do it now. Because the sooner you get it done, 
uh, the, the more time you're going to have uh, to pay it forward and give back to others. I think Wes was talking to me. I think he's he is the most responsive partner I have. And I, I wish I could say the same thing or I wish he could say the same thing about me. Uh, but I'm still getting organized. Uh, Wes, next question. Must read book. I'd like the must read. Uh, well, no, you didn't give me your quote. Well, my, my quote was pay it forward. Pay it forward. Uh, okay. Okay. And and the most the the must read book to me is Gifted Hands by Dr. Benjamin Carson. Uh, Dr. Carson and I uh, have been acquaintances for the last fifteen years since I've been heavily involved in his foundation, uh, that uh, scholarship foundation. And if you want to understand what uh, what it's like to grow up in abject poverty and rise to the most uh, prolific uh, pediatric neurosurgeon in the world, you've got to read Gifted Hands and understand what made Ben Carson, who he is today, what he was, and where he started. And because it is truly a story about um, poverty, lack of education, and growing up to be the best of the best uh, by studying and reading and uh, excelling in everything that you do. And so Gifted Hands, Dr. Benjamin Carson, it really is a must-read book for not only individuals, but for children, uh, regardless of their age. Once they can start to read, uh, children should be understanding that it's not about black and white, it's not about rich and poor, it's about knowing that you can do something because you set your mind to it. Um, you, I, I want to give you an example, some, something that's, that most people don't even know uh, about different people. Here, Ben Carson uh, couldn't even read or write, and his mother could not read or write, but she made her him and his brothers uh, read books and write book reports. And she made him do book reports every week and give them to her, and she would pretend that she could read them, and she couldn't. And so... There, she'd, there mark, is, she'd mark she'd mark them up as if she was as if she was grading them. And she didn't know what she, exactly. know what she you, was reading. You know the story. I did. And, it's, and, what a, what an appropriate book for a must read book. It, yeah, I mean, and and here this is a guy. This is a guy that performed brain surgery in uterine, meaning that the baby was still in the wound, and he performed brain surgery to save this child. Think about think about who you are and what you have to know to be and hands that you must have to be able to do that type of thing. So that's my must read book. Remarkable story. I agree. All right. Dead or alive. If you could hang out with three people for a day, who would they be? And what would you do? Well, um, it's, it's hard to pick just three people because I admire uh, so many people, but can you imagine, imagine sitting at the, at the feet of, of the Lord, uh, sitting at the sitting with Jesus Christ and talking to Him about uh, about life, about death, uh, and about the kind of person that we need to be. I look at Elon Musk, and while I do not admire a lot of things that he does, I do admire the fact that he has come along and created an amazing company that is diverse in so many ways. Uh, I look at Jeff Bezos, again, not not politically, 
Um, but I think about what he's done with Amazon and what people don't understand or many people don't understand is that Amazon is more than just an e-commerce company. Uh, it's, it's business after business after business. And at any one time, he's got about a hundred different inventions that his company is working on. That is amazing to me that these people are so driven uh, that they're, they're able to do what they've done. So dead or alive, those are the people I would like to hang out with and interview uh, to understand more uh, about how and why they've been so successful. Now, more about you, legacy. What do you want on your tombstone? I want people to know or, or tell me that, that I've been a nice person and that I've done what I could uh, to help humanity. That's what I want them to know. Awesome. And then last, the time is yours to, uh, to share with our audience anything, anything you want to share, Wes. I, I really suggest that you, you take the time to give back. I really suggest that you um, hire experts to help you in your endeavors, uh, whether you're government or whether you're private sector. Uh, you really do not know everything. You may think you know everything, but you really do not know everything. There's nothing wrong with asking advice and hiring experts. Those are, those are the words uh, that I have for young engineers and problem solvers. Wes, thanks so much for your time. This has been unbelievable. I got to know you even more. Um, really appreciate you taking the time. My pleasure, and thank you very, very much. And all the best to you. Uh, Iron Mike, uh, I saw you, you clap on one of my things that I was saying. CJ, thank you very much. Thank Thanks, you. Wes. Thank you, everyone. If you enjoy the show, do us a favor and subscribe to Inspiring People and Places on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast hosting platform. We'd also greatly appreciate if you left us a review and shared this with other entrepreneurial public servants. Be sure to visit our website, www.mcfaglobal.com. Sign up for our newsletter. If you want to learn more about the MCFA DNA, check out our case studies. And we are hiring. Lots of positions open, junior and senior, uh, architects, plant architects, plant engineers, transportation, military construction, real estate development, you name it. We have opportunities, interns to senior professionals. Uh, check us out, send us a note, and uh, come join the team. Until next time, have a great rest of your week. Thanks, everybody.